bless you. We welcome you, and uh, this is uh, this is kind of a roundtable, virtual roundtable forum, and so uh, what we try to do is mute our microphone until we're ready to, to speak, but we definitely want you to speak. Yeah, I hear recording in progress. Vanessa, how are you? Good to have you with us today. Hillary, uh, man, I hope you guys can join us uh, in person in October. That's going to be fun. We've got a Sons and Daughters Conference going on in Grand Junction, Colorado, uh, the end of September. Uh, if you're in that area or just want to get out of the heat, get to Colorado, well, that's a, a good excuse. <laughs> and uh, Nathan, what are the dates on that one? September 22nd, 23rd, and 24th. 22nd through 24th, Grand Junction, and that's a beautiful place right across the straight, uh, the state line from Moab, uh, Utah, and man, some beautiful, beautiful scenery there. So lots of good things are going on here. Uh, I don't see Eduardo. Um, God's just opened up a fantastic door for us in um, it's in Mexico, about two hours south of Mexico City in Puebla. And there's a couple other places that I can't I can't pronounce. Cholula, I know. And um, the Lord's opened the door to uh, a team of business consultants who are, they do what they call ontological consulting. And so they really encourage business leaders in who they be. And, uh, of course, the language is, is right down the alley with us. And when they got a hold of the, uh, the Abba journey, just uh, really lit up. So Cheeky and I just got back from there uh, a couple of weekends ago and saw a whole bunch of folks uh, filled with the Holy Spirit and really activated in sonship and uh, also saw several people saved. So uh, at least four of those uh, business consultants are going to be with us for the uh, Sons and Daughters Conference in October. We're excited to be able to introduce those folks to the congregation. And... Um, just I'm thrilled with what God's doing. At the same time, we have a sense of urgency about where we are and the, the uh, place we are as a people and as the church in the world that is radically changing. And I think uh, we'll just, with a little prayer, get on into our conversation um, tonight. And um, I'm going to set it up for a little bit, as I, I normally do, and hopefully it won't go too long. I want to just stir your thoughts. Maybe you've already been making some notes on these things. And, and uh, if you have some notes and you don't get to share all of it around this table tonight, I would still encourage you, please send me any notes you get. I just, I'm, I'm thirsty to see how sonship works its way out in every aspect of our lives. And so based on what you've given us as feedback and information, we're working our way through those topics and, and uh, suffering, sonship and suffering. Doesn't sound like a real uh, <laughs> exciting, <laughs> exciting feel-good kind of topic. topic. <laughs> sonship and suffering, oh boy, <laughs> I want to suffer. <laughs> no, so we're going to touch on, on the nature of that and the, the real question that's driving this uh, for me and uh, perhaps for you as well. And I, I know you're going to bring some things to the table that I've not even thought about, and that's what's uh, most encouraging to me. Father, we just thank you for joining us here around this table. We thank you for knitting our hearts together in your purpose. We thank you for a spirit of wisdom and revelation. I thank you that before the foundation of the world, you chose us and ordained us as sons 
to be placed in the sun and to live in a sonship that would awaken creation. We thank you, Father, that not only is creation groaning, but we're groaning within ourselves, Lord, to see this full manifestation and adoption of sonship. We thank you that you are creating a movement by your Holy Spirit of sons and daughters rising up and taking their place in this hour and the church being awakened to all that you want to do. I thank you, Father, that as sons, we know we have nothing to hide, nothing to prove, nothing to fear, nothing to lose, and that's the only way that we can look at suffering without a sense of self-preservation and uh, running from uh, the prospects of it. Would you open our ears and our hearts, our eyes to see, to hear your voice uh, in our conversation? We each bring our sticks to the fire, and we look forward to throwing our piece in and just igniting the fire a little brighter. And uh, in each of our hearts, I pray that this would be an, an Emmaus experience for, you, for us, that as you're speaking to us, even through one another, that our hearts burn within us. We thank you for that in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Let me just set it up for you, and I want to get to, there's, there's so many ways we could go, and I've got seven pages of notes. I mean, it would take us uh, no. four of these, and I'm not going to do it. I had seven pages last month, eight, and uh, you'd be proud at how little <laughs> I used it. Is anybody surprised? <laughs> so, so, but I feel this is, this is so urgent for us. I mean, anybody that doesn't have a sense of urgency with what you see going on in our world today, and then what seems to be some sense of apathy and how the church is responding to that um, is what sets off alarms in me, and it makes me want to uh, lift up my voice a little bit. Uh, I want to just run through very quickly just some of the basic things that we understand about why believers suffer. We all know that suffering is a part of of life. Jesus said, in this world you're going to have tribulation. But there's some, some common sense ways, and I drew a lot of these from an old revivalist from the 50s in the healing, uh, voice of healing movement, Gordon Lindsay, the founder of Christ for the Nations, wrote a little pamphlet, like 28-page like pamphlet, Why the Righteous Suffer. Uh, you could probably still get that somewhere, but I'm just going to give you the synopsis of that. This is the underlayer to understand that we know that these things are already embedded in the Scripture. We want to ask a little more deeply about the, the impact of sonship revelation on our moving into a time where we may be asked to suffer. In fact, I'm going to suggest to you that the reason Jesus suffered was because he chose oneness with humanity. And you and I, if we choose oneness with our humanity and with the humanity around us, and we don't turn a blind eye to the lost of this world, then we're going to have to step into some suffering because we're going to live with people that are making bad choices. We're going to, we're going to be reaching out to redeem people that are making some, some deadly choices. And we can either turn a blind eye and run to comfort and let those people go to hell, or we can have a heart for the nations and a heart for people that are living in suffering. And I guess, uh, you know, I, I just think, if you're going to be with those kinds of people and you're going to have a heart for those kinds of people, we're not going to be able to run and try to insulate ourselves from it. So here's uh, what I derived from Gordon Lindsay's uh, brief book, and I'm just going to touch on them. I won't even give the, the references and where he draws all of it from. Number one, believers suffer as a consequence of poor decisions. Well, everybody does, don't they? Not just believers. We can make bad decisions and, and uh that cost us. Secondly, believers suffer from the results of rebellion and uh, seasons of backsliding. If we walk away from God, we're going to 
we're going to understand that sin carries its own consequences. It's not that God's mad and he's hurling uh, brimstone at us. Uh, it's not that his wrath is upon us. We're not ordained to wrath, but sin carries its own consequences. You make bad choices, you get bad results. Thirdly is impatience and hasty actions bring suffering. Moses' hasty action, striking the rock, he didn't get to see the promised land. We could give several examples of each of these. Fourthly, believers suffer when other members of the body disobey. You see that with Achan, for example, in the children of Israel. When he disobeyed the command of the Lord, uh, not to take any of the spoil, but he dug a hole in his tent and he buried some of that. It cost his whole family. And uh, thousands uh, died because of his sin. Then believers suffer when the leaders of God's people fall. And this, is, this seems very unfair to us, but when leaders make mistakes, the followers suffer. Um, and that's just a reality, and you can see it. Saul was a king that was ordained, anointed by the Holy Spirit, but because he failed, the people of God suffered. His own son died as a consequence, and we could go right on down the line. King David, the same way. When King David disobeyed the Lord, counted the people, he wanted to count his troops and rather than put his trust in God, and uh, how many people died as a result of that. Sixthly, believers suffer because of flagrant sin. The Corinthian uh, adulterer was turned over to Satan uh, for the destruction of his flesh. Sin, again, carries its own consequences. A lot of times we see somebody that's made a mistake and we think God's punishing. No, we, we choose that ourselves. And um, we have to understand that God is there to draw us out of that mess. He's there to heal us in the midst of the mess. He'll never leave us nor forsake us, nor will he override our free will if we choose to ignore the stop signs that he puts up for us. Number seven is misplacing our trust can lead to suffering. All conflict begins where uh, expectations get misplaced. That's why our expectation must be in God. We start putting our, our trust and our expectations in people. Guess what? You're going to get disappointed. You're going to get hurt. It's going to cause suffering. Asa, uh, Old Testament king, put his trust in the physicians, and it cost him, didn't it? And so we're finding out now that uh, really any of the seven mountains of influence you want to talk about, whether it's media, um, big pharma, medical, Hollywood, any of it, the corruption is so deep in all of those, that if you're putting any trust in any of that, um, it's going to cause, bring some suffering. And we've seen that through the whole uh, COVID experience, haven't we? So then uh, number eight, all who live godly lives in Christ Jesus, all who live godly are going to suffer. Why? Because we're in a broken, evil world. And Jesus said, if they hated me, they're going to hate you. If uh, they persecute me, they're going to persecute you. So you live a holy life. You say, I've done everything right. Why is this happening to me? Because you're living a holy life in an unholy world. Nine believers suffer when we, when, when we neglect prayer. Uh, we have to understand that prayer is our means of staying connected to the head. Prayer is our means of staying fed. Prayer is our means of staying connected to a life source of joy and love. And when we disconnect from that, we neglect prayer, we neglect the connection to the head, then we're going to suffer. We're going to make decisions. We thought we're good. Maybe they're good conventional wisdom, but it wasn't what the Lord was wanting to say to us. So prayer is a real key for us to stay in, in his grace. Number 10, believers suffer when they exceed their strength. 
or their grace. Paul talks about getting outside of your measure. Each one of us have a measure, a grace, a calling of God. We have an anointing on a certain area in our life. And when I want to be like Mike, you know, when I want to be like somebody else, and I'm impressed with their anointing, I'm impressed with their ministry, and I, I reach out and want to want to be like that, I get sat outside of my own measure. And guess what? I'm going to be disappointed. I'm going to suffer because I'm going to be working hard to make something happen that I was not ordained to happen this where. A spirit of sonship makes such a huge difference in our lives. When we get freed up from this idea that I have to prove myself, that I have to climb a ladder, that I have to perform, that I have to provide for myself, then we get set up for that kind of suffering. Believers suffer, um, believers suffer in resisting sin. And uh, that's very clear. Jesus learned obedience by the things that he suffered. Why would he have to? suffer? How, how did he learn obedience? That's going to be one of our questions for tonight. And finally, believers suffer because of unbelief. The disciples were afraid for their lives. They ran at the critical moment when they should have been so full of his love to stand. They fell asleep when, when Jesus was in his intense suffering, sweating great drops of blood. And so as we commit ourselves to one another, we're going to learn that there is a suffering that simply comes by choosing to be one with one another. If, if Paul says, if, if one's hurting, we're hurting along with them. If one's rejoicing, we're rejoicing. And I think a lot of times we, we and, and this is going to get us to kind of our, our point for tonight, though there'll be many, uh, I've heard I've heard it said here recently by more than one person, well, I'm just declaring I'm not going to suffer. Yeah, all these things are happening, but, you know, it's their exercise of faith. I'm declaring with my mouth that I'm not going to suffer in the middle of all this. Well, I, I, I appreciate your faith, and I, I would uh, applaud your faith. But what you're going to do if you choose not to suffer is you're going to isolate yourself from everybody else that needs your help. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I think of John G. Lake, you know, in the middle of the bubonic plague, you know, and he's out there cleaning up dead bodies and he's got bubonic plague foam in his hand. Well, by the grace of God, that didn't kill him, but he wasn't afraid of it. He wasn't running from the suffering that was going on in his world. Can I make a comment on that? Sure. It sparks a, a, a thought from John McMurray. Who's, who talks about the fact that it's a false religion that tells you none of the things that you that you fear will happen to you. And so we're like afraid of suffering. And so it's really we buy into a false religion that says if I do the right things, if I worship God the right way, if I make the right declarations, then I can control the levers and I can, I can ensure for myself um, an insulation from everything that I would suffer. And McMurray would, would go on to say that, that true religion says you may, in fact, suffer all the things that you're afraid of, but there's nothing to fear in that. And I think that really brings us to a completely different place of even understanding suffering. It's not suffering for the sake of suffering. It's not that God insulates us from it, but it's also that we don't suffer like those who don't have God. There's a difference in it. That's right. And I've thought several times in in, uh, just thinking through this theme of the three Hebrew children commanded by um, an ungodly leader, to bow down and worship. The music plays, you're going to bow down and worship. If you don't, you're going to get thrown in the fire. They said, well, we're not going to bow down and worship. Our God will deliver us. But if he doesn't, now that sounds like unbelief to some believers today, but listen to the heart of that. 
our God will deliver us. But even if he doesn't, we're not bowing down. And so what happens? Of course, they are thrown in the fire. We don't want to be thrown in the fire. Yeah, but you don't have a testimony like those three guys that walked around in the fire, and the fire didn't burn them, didn't smell like smoke, and they had the fourth man walking with them. Wow. Can you imagine the kind of aura, the kind of honor that those guys had on their life when they came out of that fiery furnace untouched by the flames? And the key thing is that God did deliver them. It's just that the, the deliverance didn't come before. Yes. It came in the midst of, it came alongside with, exactly. it, which is a very different kind of deliverance, but it is deliverance nonetheless. Yes. A deliverance without fear, you know. And how do we have a testimony if we never step into the fire, if we're always delivered out of it and it never touched us? Well, that is a great testimony. You know, I've never been in prison. I've never been on meth. I've never been... Uh, an alcoholic. I haven't done that. Many people have. They have a story that I don't have. I'm, I'm grateful for my story. But people that need to reach the people that are in the down and out, you've got a message. They're not listening to me. They're listening to you. And I think that's the power of having a spirit of sonship with nothing to fear. Nothing to fear because, you know, the worst that can happen is you get promoted. 13 believers suffer because of ignorance. Hosea 4, 6 says, my people are destroyed for a lack of knowledge. So when we're not walking with the Holy Spirit, who will teach us everything we need to know, put us where we need to be, give us what we need to have, when we need to have it, when you're walking with the Holy Spirit, a spirit of sonship, spirit of placement, then you're going to be saved from that kind of suffering. 14 is, and this is final, believers suffer when anything replaces God as source for their life and provision. You can have a great job, corporate job. You can be the owner of a business, all those things, and still go into hell. You can have all those things and be working yourself to death to try to keep those things running. And so here's, the, here's a great deliverance, and it's just the hedge of protection that comes when we keep our hope and our expectation in God, believers suffer when anything replaces God as source. And you've heard me say it many times. God is the only source. Everything else is resource. Everything else is resource. And when we keep that in view and live that way, live our lives with him as our only source, then we save ourselves a lot of pain. So I think there's a question in that, in that some people would say, with what we just said, then, well, what's the point of having faith then? <laughs> You know, and I think it's a genuine question. I think people want to know. You know, some, some people in the world would say, well, if you're going to suffer just like we suffer, then what's the point of having faith? I'd love to throw it out and see what maybe other people want to. I know you have a it's a good plan, one. but yeah. I think it's a good question. It's a good one. So keep those and make notes as we go. And um, just a couple of more thoughts. Uh, a couple of key verses, I think, that will help us. And you certainly have got some of these in your artillery already. And uh, this one, not directly connected to suffering, but it's a key theme. And, and for some reason, I've been preaching on sonship for probably 25, 30 years now. This verse somehow has always eluded me, and I've come to it now, and it's burning in my heart. Second Corinthians six eighteen, I will be a father to you, and you shall be my sons and daughters, says the Lord Almighty. Well, the Jews knew him as Adonai, the Almighty God, but he's trying to reveal himself to them as a father. I will be a father to you, and you will be my sons and daughters. What's better than being a soldier in the army? Being a son, <laughs> to be a son of the father. That's always better. So 
uh, I got this thought today, and it's not a profound thought, but you've heard of KISS, you know, keep it simple, stupid. Well, this is what I heard today. Uh, Psalm 12, 2, kiss the sun, kiss the sun, that is revere the sun. What happens when you, when you uh, pet a child? You touch the heart of the parent. When you kiss the son, you, you step into the father's love. So my kiss is keep, keep it sonship, stupid. <laughs> keep it sonship, stupid. You're probably going to hear me say that a few times. So what does a sonship mindset look like when it comes to the things of this world and the negative things that are swirling around us? Are we looking for insulation or are we living in a revelation that says, I have an answer, so I need to be in the middle uh, of this thing? And um, again, the, the one thing I hope we touch on tonight is this idea that somehow uh, my faith uh, and my power and authority in Jesus Christ is really designed to help me avoid any suffering. Uh, and I, I hope we can come to a realization that in sonship, we have nothing to fear. That absolutely means that I can run with a, a little sling and a rock in my hand and take down a giant and trash talk him the whole time I'm doing it. You know, that's what David did. And um, God does not equip us with his power and his might and faith and confidence so we can stay inside the church walls and sing Kumbaya. So that's that's where I am on that. You have a thought you want to... No, it's great. Us. Just like just the variations of the K-I-S-S is keep it sonship, sweetheart. Keep it sonship. Nice. Oh, that's or better. That's keep so it much simple, nice. son. <laughs> Keep it simple, son. Yeah, that's good like too. That too. I like that. Very Either good. way, the point is, yeah, we are sons, and we can keep it simple. You know, focus on that. Before we open it up, I just want to take you back and remind you, page sixty-two of uh, the Abba Foundation. Cheeky gives us the three reasons why bad things happen, and I think this is a, a really good foundation when we begin to talk about about suffering. Three reasons. Number one is Satan's direct attack. And I find a lot of times uh, we believers think we're so important that it's always the devil himself <laughs> that is chasing us down. And I think sometimes we need to realize that it's not so much demonic as it is um, immaturity uh, and childlikeness or, or childishness. I've, I've been in, involved in counseling several leaders here in the last couple of weeks or so that are in the middle of some real, um, what should I say? Um, breakdown, just some dissolution of relationships and a challenging, a testing of, of uh, what God is trying to build in certain places. And I get people from both sides calling me as a kind of a, hopefully an objective voice. Uh, and one side is saying what they're doing is demonic. It's demonic. It's demonic. Then the other side calls me and says, it's demonic. It's demonic. And I just want to say, why don't we quit blaming other believers for being demonic? You know, let's just call it, it's immaturity. Maybe it's flesh. Maybe it's some selfishness, orphan spirit. Um, but let's don't give the devil too much, too much of that press, right? So number one is Satan's direct attack. We do believe that he has a strategy and a plan. He, he wants to take humanity out. I think there's, there's a plan that we can see now. We have We've not been able to see this before in the world, but now we see a people, a group that really have a plan to take a third of humanity out to depopulate the planet. We've not seen that before in human history. 
Number two is the exercise of our free will. The exercise of our free will. So God, as a part of the imago dei, the image of God that he's planted in us, gives us free will, and he will not override that free will um, because then he mars his very uh, image in us. So comes back to bad choices. Because he's given us free will, we can make wrong choices. We may, might even think God told us to do it, but we don't learn his voice well enough. We make bad choices. Free will is a reason. You know, a mechanic doesn't do his job right. The bolts come loose on the plane. The plane crashes. 300 people die, and we say God did it. No, God didn't do that. It's uh, the will of men. It's human ingenuity or the lack thereof. A lot of those things are involved. And thirdly, we live in a broken world. It's simply a broken world. A lot of things don't work, and there's lots of disease in the world, and there's germs in the world, and there's hatred in the world. And this broken world in and of itself carries the persona of the evil one. He's the prince of the power of the air. So we live in a broken world, and if you'll notice in those three, none of those say God did it. Uh, the, the scripture revelation, if you look at Jesus as the highest definition picture of the Father, you realize that God is not killing people. God's not putting sickness on people. God is not causing the suffering in the world, but he's with us every moment of every day to deliver us out of that suffering. I've got five more pages, but I'm going to let that be where it's at and just <laughs> see if that stirs up anything in you. What has the Lord been saying to you about uh, sonship and suffering, and does a revelation of sonship have an impact on how we face the hardships that we face in the world? Anybody want to speak to it? Yes, while they're while they're raising their hand, I'll, I'll share a thought that came to me: is that one of the one of the attributes of sonship, or one of the characteristics of sonship that we see, is that it should create in us an other-centered orientation, mm -hmm. so that life is not all about me, yeah. but it's about somebody else. And I, I think it's striking that we see, I think it was uh, Paul and Silas when they were in jail, and the prison doors flew open, and they didn't leave. And they stayed there. And I would have thought, well, they were <laughs> suffering. They were in prison. That, like, don't they see this as a great deliverance? But their lives weren't about themselves. It was about what else could happen and so we see that their suffering made a way for other people to to come into the kingdom to come into a relationship with god and i remember when i was going through the season where my late husband was battling cancer i remember having that conversation with the lord specifically to say okay lord if what i'm going through can be of help to other people um, then I'm willing. I'm willing to go through it. Like when I, I, I was remembering when I was 15 and I gave my life to the Lord, part of my prayer was do with my life whatever you want to do. And I came to this point of realization, did I really mean that? And, and acknowledging that that could mean that I would go through some difficult times, yeah. but that God was with me. He would see me through it, but it wasn't all just about me. So I was looking at uh, Romans 8, 38, all things work together for those who love him. And it's like, well, I always interpret that as all things work together for me. Well, that's mm. a very self-centered orientation. <laughs> but God works all things together, so even he might even work my suffering for the good of those who love him, which is a broader context. Mm. And so I think sonship allows us to become more other-centered and see suffering from a very different perspective. Yes, very much. How many of you, if, the, if you were in prison, wrongly accused in prison for preaching the gospel and the, and the doors swung open, how many I'm of you say, man, have I got a testimony <laughs> for next Sunday morning? <laughs> Woo -hoo -hoo, God set me free. <laughs> and not even see 
the the jailer's life and the jailer's family who needs Jesus. And so to see this sonship spirit on Paul and his other centered nature to it's not about me. It's it's about those that haven't heard. Okay. Hillary. Hillary. Unmute your microphone. Good to see you. Florida. Our Florida. Missed you the last few times. Oh, I know, I know. So um this is a conversation I've also had with God for a long time because I hated all those scriptures from Paul, from from James, from Peter, from I'm like, God, shut up, quit while you're ahead, you know. And but even in Romans 8, talking about that very Holy Spirit that gives us sonship by by no by by whom we know we're of sons, he testifies to us that we're heirs. And we're heirs according to his promise to share in his glory if we share in his suffering. So it's a mm-hmm. fundamental promise of sonship in addition to all of those precious promises inside the Beatitudes, inside of like, you know, all the way across. And, you know, the, the Lord told me recently, Hillary, you've been adulted in error. And I mm-hmm. said, Lord, explain that to me. And he said, You are never supposed to be mature in childishness, Mm. jealousy, pride, judgment, Mm. selfishness, self-centeredness, self-righteousness, self-defense, all the things that we are exactly raised in. He Mm. said all of that in, in maturing was supposed to be burned off of you as you mature in child likeness, innocence purity, generosity, kindness, you know, unity, service, all of the things that reflect our father. And gosh, I could go so many places in here, but, but even, you know, David understood that the good shepherd, the one who was his only faithful parent out there where he had no, no other parent. And he knew that he knew God knows where the green pastures are. He knows where the still waters of rest are, and he knows that path of righteousness to get there. But evidently, my soul's going to need to be restored on that path. I'm going to need ministry. I'm going to be threatened. I'm going to, I'm going to have the very presence of the threat of death. And I'm going to need to know that it's his presence that strengthens me, guides me, provides for me, corrects me, directs me, and that there really is a feast provided for me in the presence yeah. of my enemies. I've got yeah. more than enough, and I, and I don't need to. I think this was the the fall, was the agreement with lack, was yeah, right. that there was a knowledge a, a, somehow God lacked, and now I had to go in to figure it out. I, it's up to me it's now. So we come, so we come back to. We come back to what our knower knows, what we know in our hearts from a spirit of sonship. We know who we are. We know who he is. We know that we'll have what we need to have when we need to have it. But if we don't stay plugged into him and full of him, full of the spirit, then then the mind begins to revert back to those things and that, that tension between our knower and our thinker. So this is why they that are led by the Spirit of God, these are the sons of God. We have to keep the conversation going with God, hearing his voice in the middle of it so that our mind's constantly renewed. That's powerful. I just While you, you went to uh, Romans chapter, 
Romans chapter 8. And I find Romans chapter 8 uh, talks about this suffering and sonship. And, and I'm, I'm looking this last two weeks for where suffering and sonship really uh, intersect. And do you see this in Romans 8, 18? For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory which shall be revealed in us for the earnest expectation of the creation eagerly awaits for the revealing of the sons of God. Listen to that. All of creation is waiting for us to take our place. Creation is groaning. Why is creation groaning? For us. And so Paul says the Holy Spirit that is in us now is groaning within us. He says, for, the, for we know that the whole creation groans and labors and birth pangs together until now. Not only that, but we also have the first fruits of the Spirit. Even we ourselves groan within ourselves. That's a suffering. That's a suffering of the flesh. It's a suffering of putting away the flesh, living above that. And First Peter chapter 4 talks about that. And we are with this groaning in ourselves, eagerly waiting for the adoption, the redemption of our bodies. So even within ourselves, there's a part of us that's already experiencing salvation, a part of us that's in a process of being saved, and a part of us that won't fully be saved until, until our bodies put on immortality. There's a groaning within us. There's a suffering within us. Uh, I, I, I want to be over with this. I don't know about you, but I just I want to get there, right? I want to be over with this this tension in between where I'm constantly struggling between my knower and my thinker. That's part of, you're never going to get away from all the suffering. It's, if you've been, you know, if you really want to see suffering, just read Peter's letters because um, he's, he's, the, he's the champion of that. He understood that and he speaks to that. And he tells us that Jesus suffered in the flesh resisting sin. And if you and I are going to resist sin, we're going to suffer in the flesh. And just living a holy life, pushing back the temptation uh, that wars against our mind requires a suffering on our part that really only the spirit of sonship can help us conquer. Any thoughts? Uh, The one that I had too with what Hillary was saying is reminded of this um, statement by Dallas Willard that the true test of spiritual maturity is whether we can spontaneously love our enemies. Yes. Which what, (laughs) connecting it to this, means that Without enemies, we really can't be considered spiritually mature. <laughs> so I think there's there's a thing. It's like it's part and part. Like, and I was thinking about it. Luke six. Where aren't we supposed to isolate ourselves right? and just hang out with believers? Right. So we don't have any enemies, right? <laughs> well, and so like we don't in, hang out with in, Luke, in Luke six and Matthew six, where, where Jesus is talking about God causes it to rain on the just and the unjust, and causes the sun to shine on the just and the unjust, and then He calls us to be fer- perfect as He is perfect, and He's describing the perfection of God as being good to those who are for him and those who are against him. And so, again, when Hillary brings out, we want, we want to share in the glory. We don't want to share in the, in the suffering, suffering. But the yeah. glory involves the suffering. Yes. The, the suffering is part of the glory. We can't yes. separate the two. Yes. Why did Jesus suffer? He chose to be one with humanity. And if you and I continue to identify with the humanity that God has called us to reach, then we're going to be willing to suffer. I think of Mother Teresa lived a very, very, um, what would you call, very narrow um, life. Didn't have much, didn't want much because she was with those that had nothing. All right, I've talked enough. Somebody else, who wants to jump in and bring us another aspect of this? What's the Lord saying to you? 
about the impacts of sonship in suffering. Andres, you're just itching to say something. I can, I can see it. You want to say something to us? Come on. I was thinking about uh, Hebrews in the chapter 5, verse mm -hmm. 8. So though he was, he has, he was, he learned obedience from what he suffered. And, uh, you know, it's, it's something that, that because we live in this, in this society that trying, is trying to avoid pain and is trying to avoid suffering and suffering is part of life. And I mean, in this imperfected, imperfected life. Mm -hmm. So it's something that we are going to experience not only because our, our sin, but because some others sins, you know, we were talking True. last Monday that uh, we were talking about the leaders, the, the orphan leaders, you no, know, the spirit, the orphan spirit in leaders, and I, I can see that all of the governments and all of, many of the pastors of the churches, they have this orphan spirit, and and their sin can make us suffer as well, and I think that is not only a part of life, but it's all part of the Christian life. I mean. I think that is something that we have to not not trying to uh, to avoid, not not trying to to you know like to yeah to avoid, but you have to face it. And I think that the only way that you can face it is when you realize that the the real purpose is to learn. And and when he's saying about obedience, I think that is he's saying about you have to learn how to be a son. Yes. You have to learn sonship. Yes. So I, I think that is a way that our father is, is using to to get us through the real sonship spirit. Right. Thank you, Andres. Yeah. Yeah. Excellent. Anybody uh, spend some time in Hebrews chapter 12 thinking about this topic and how how a father that loves his son will, will discipline his son? Um, Jeremy, you want to speak to that? You or have, Holly. Yeah. Or Holly. Jeremy's shaking his head, but maybe yeah, Holly's no, so the They're one raising the hand. Go okay, for it. Go for it. I think that Holly and I could both speak on this because that's literally what we've walked out mm -hmm. for probably 20 years. Mm -hmm. um, and every bit of what we would, what someone would call suffering was opportunities for us to actually just grow up um, mm -hmm. and for us to see it from another lens. Now we've, we've experienced great suffering um, and, and there's been lots of loss, but we've come to the place where we would, we would say now that suffering is really a mindset. It's, it's how you think about it. And I would yeah. say that in our most painful season, which was probably 2015, um, the Lord had me change my language because, um, we had, we, it, it, in a physical sense, we had lost everything. Mm -hmm. So we, we hadn't lost our health and we hadn't lost our children, but we, we had experienced great loss. And we're uh, for a very short period of time, kind of like homeless. And, and, and this was all in the midst. This wasn't because we made poor decisions. This was out of the place of just following the father's, you know, path. Yeah. yeah. Um, and so um, anyways, the Lord has changed the language from, from suffering to sowing. Wow. That we that unless a seed falls to the ground and dies, nice. it can't produce fruit. And so 
we had to understand that every bit of loss, I, I because that was my gripe to the Lord. I'm like, Lord, we've, we've lost house. We've lost vehicles. We've lost, we've lost, yeah. we've lost. We, we just had loss on, on everywhere around. Yeah. Relationships. And, and, um, and the Lord said, no, those are seeds. And those are seeds that will at the right time produce an amazing harvest because whatever the enemy has stolen from you. And we did have the enemy, the enemy stole greatly from us mm -hmm. um, and took advantage of, of us through broken people and broken situations um, that we had to get a different mindset. And so I believe that, I believe that we have a different mindset, even on this side of the cross around suffering, because Jesus, it said there, there was a joy available to him and there's a joy available to us that only comes in suffering. And, and I really appreciate Brian Simmons in the passion translation. He, James chapter one was a, a, a key passage that I meditated on in that season for a, a lot. And that's where he says, consider it your greatest opportunity for joy. When you're in, when you're facing your most difficult season, most difficult, trial, the greatest opportunity. So then you think of uh, Jesus and the joy that was set before him that he endured the cross. So really it's about what do we think about suffering? If I'm in Christ, if I'm in the father, if I'm in this Holy spirit, then I can be having a completely different experience around yes. suffering than, yeah. than looking at just the pain and the loss and the grief and the suffering. Instead, I can say, wait a minute, this is an opportunity for me to experience a glory and a joy that I wouldn't even have access to if I had not gone through the suffering and yes. really honestly, when I, when I look back on it now, I actually see that season as a time when the Lord was fathering me in, in a way yeah. I didn't understand. I didn't, yeah. I didn't get, I get it now, but I didn't get it then. And, and it, um, and so we actually see that the shaping Hebrews 12 is that this is, he wasn't punishing us. Yeah. And he wasn't the one causing the loss and the suffering and, and, but he was using it as an opportunity to yes. discipline us in having a different mindset. I need yes. you to see through my perspective. I need you to see from the place of victory. Christ won the victory. We're living in the reality of the victory of Jesus Christ. And so therefore we have, we're, we're already on the other side. Mm -hmm. And I believe that's where Paul really comes in mm -hmm. and he's living in that place. I mean, Paul and John are the two sonship dudes. They really got it. And, and Paul's the one saying like, this isn't even suffering and don't be ashamed of it. And don't, don't begrudge it and don't run away from it. Don't like, yeah, this sure. is an opportunity for us to actually share in the glory of Jesus Christ. Yes. We get yes. to share in the same glory and and Jesus didn't run from suffering and and he did it from the mindset of being a son and and I and I see that he actually found now there's times when he wept and there's times when he was his heart was wrenched and broken but it was also in also in the greatest opportunity for people to see his father come through or see his father in a new way because he was willing to endure what he endured do you want to add that's anything? right I was to say you know we, we don't need the comforter outside of the suffering. And so yes, the reason wow. that one of the names of Holy Spirit is the comforter and because he, he already had the solution to change our mindset for what was coming that we didn't even know we needed. Yes. And so in those moments, we get to experience a part of God that we wouldn't need in any other time. 
And that's that's in that moment when that intersects our need for who he truly is in that moment and who like the position and placement that we thought that we were in when those intersect, everything changes. Mindsets change, perspective and perception changes. And there's glory in that. So good. So good. I just want to say those of you that don't know Jeremy and Holly, Holly, they exude the joy of the Lord. And it's for this reason because the Lord has come and fathered them in the midst of suffering. And uh, Jeremy, I'm, I'm praying that maybe the Lord will have you share some of that. You're going to be ministering in the Sons and Daughters Conference here in October. And uh, you guys have so much a life and a life message out of that. It's such a deep well. And we need, to, we need to hear it so badly. Do you realize that most of our New Testament was written from prison? Uh, but most of us have not been in prison. <laughs> It's hard for us to identify with the source of the author and the revelation. And um, Paul says, I would glory in my infirmities and my weaknesses so that the power of Christ can rest on me. Uh, It's a glorious thing for us to realize. He's made us, um, somebody said, uh, he, he made us to rise in the heat. You know, we've got yeast in our soul. We, we've got that that resurrection ingredient in our soul we weren't made for comfort we were made for the heat we were made to persevere we were made to shine in the tough spots we were made to show jesus and to smell like jesus when when everything is is going wrong and uh, this is where we want to press in and say what's the difference between having a revelation of my sonship and knowing that i have everything i need to have and, and this life is is so temporary compared to everything else. And that mindset that allows me to hug somebody that's wronged me, allows me to love somebody that's unlovable in the trenches. You know, when I just think about how Jesus must have suffered just with the knuckleheads that were his disciples. Think about being the wisdom of the universe and and they can't even receive a simple lesson. I mean, I'm sure he's, he's suffered in his emotions and, and in his most trying hour, they are asleep. And I think that was a, a part of his suffering. And some, some of us pastors think we know about it. One other thing that I'm thinking about too is just the realization that a lot of our suffering we induce on ourselves, right? In our own bad decisions, our own mistakes. Most of the suffering I've experienced has been my own uh, stupidity or mistakes or wrong choices. And so it's very hard for us to get angry at God when we're suffering because of what we did, but we can be that blind. But we can have a grace on our lives, even in that, to say, all I have to do is confess that, get my heart right, and step right back in stride, and know that the Lord will even use those things uh, for his glory. And isn't that amazing, the, the love of God, that when we bring suffering upon ourselves, he's not sitting there saying, I told you so. You know, like I told you to choose life and you chose death. So there you go. Have it. No, he still comes and he still works and he still. Yes. Up. So the thought that came to me was that there's in terms of being a witness to the world, there's very little difference in the house of the banquet. When, every, when everything's going good, very little difference. But in the house of mourning mm-hmm. is where you can really tell the difference of the Lord being part right. of our lives. Oh, and that's the truth. Right. So, so we gladly go there and it becomes a witness to the world as well. Yeah. So, Dave. Hold on, just really quick. Uh, Deborah had her hand up real quick, and Nathan had his hand up real quick. And okay. then, can we do like in sequence? In the yeah, we'll do those nice and tight. What you hear, and Dave, if you have something, I'd love to hear from you, brother. You're a well of wisdom. Let's start with Deborah. Okay. 
um, everything that you guys have been saying has been amazing. And so um, as I was preparing and, and I, I, I went through some scriptures and stuff and I found some information that I felt like in, in the midst of our, my trials, you know, we all, all go through trials and sometimes we don't understand the hardship of it. Uh, but in that part of it for my own self and my own uh, situations, and I sound a lot of things like Jeremy, I have been through so many things that I can't even begin to tell you. And it's been such a, a hardship. It's been such a hardship. And I don't, but th through the process of it all, um, I have found that in that, through the hardship, he's maturing me in our character, in my character, he's built um, a place in me on the suffering to come out during the suffering. There's a lessons that I can learn, lessons that I have learned. And, uh, and then in using that, he usually always prunes things from us that which helps us to bear more fruit. And yeah. in our suffering, we endure the, our character and hope. And he teaches us as his children to persevere in the, and to be sensitive even to others of what they may be going through. And so uh, I just, I, in, in this, the title of this was, it says, suffering matures and equips us. Yes. Right. It yes. really does. It equips us. We don't, you know, and we don't, we don't want to go through those trials, but, and I, I'm reminded about their, you know, it's called the dark, the dark night of the soul. And I, I've been to places like that. I'm thinking, Lord, how much, what, what, what is this? But now that I've come through it all, I'm so grateful. I'm so grateful for what I've learned because in that, that's um, my relationship of him has just grown sweeter and sweeter. And I fall in love with him over and over again. Man, so, beautiful. How Thank many you, here could raise their hand and say, yeah, me too. Right. <laughs> and resonate with that. Yeah. yeah. He's always teaching, but we're not always listening. Right. Uh -huh. uh, Nathan, bless you, bro. Yeah. You guys pretty much covered all of my study. I was all over the place in the new Testament, but some of the, some of the notes I wrote down was that oftentimes I know the orphan mindset will get us to say things like, you know, I must have done something for God to allow or God to do or God to test and, and, um, or even, you know, the, the reformed camps, uh, position on predestination, how God determines everything. And so it's from God himself and, and something I've learned that as a son, but like purpose follows pain. Like God gives purpose to the pain. He doesn't bring the pain for a purpose. He gives purpose to the pain. And that was something that uh, Jeremy was saying there. And it's interesting you brought up Jeremy first, uh, or James chapter one, because I was studying that and uh, thinking about this. It says, you know, consider it pure joy and you face trials of many kinds. And then in verse 13, you know, it says that when you are tempted, no one should say God is tempting me. And it's the same Greek word for trial. For God does not tempt, and God cannot be tempted, right? And so it's it's interesting that while there is suffering, I just know as a son that he's going to work out everything for my good. Even like you said, Cheeky, even, even if it is my own stupid decision that got me there, the love of the Father is going to take that that's and right. use it to that's make right. me more like Christ. I think that's the good that he's talking about in Romans 8, to, to be conformed in the image of his Son. And so inversely, though, I think any amount of suffering that comes at us, the enemy would want to use it to keep us to turn inward, to turn inward focus. Like, I don't deserve this. I deserve better. Or you can't. How could you do that to me? And, you know, we just start just we lose the opportunity. I think 
second Corinthians chapter four, where Paul says, you know, when you're suffering for doing what's right, it's an opportunity to continue to do good. It's, it's, and then Peter says, you put to, to uh, silence the foolish talk of ignorant men, you know, for, for, for bearing up under the pressures of unjust suffering. So there's this promise, no matter what kind of suffering I'm going to this, this place of faith rest this trust that God's going to use it for my benefit. Yes. And so that's, that's kind of where I was. I was in a lot of the the persecution suffering, not so much, you know, suffering for being an idiot, but um, that's, that's well, where I studied this. this and this I think month. that's where the church is. The church is moving into that arena. I don't think America is going to be shielded uh, from what much of the world has been experiencing already. We're still having our, our fights over post-trib, mid-trib, pre-trib. And if you're in China or in Nigeria, they're not having that argument because they're already in the middle of tribulation, right? So so some of those arguments go away when you hit the reality of God showing up in our world. Dave, do you have something you'd like to share? Anybody else that has something you just itching to share when Dave gets through, we're going to squeeze you in. I uh, am just... You know, I just honor you. I'm just grateful that you're doing sonship and suffering and not just suffering because there's plenty of discussion about all yeah. the crying and whining and moaning and blaming. And what I saw with the latter part of the book of Acts, for example, really the whole book, the Holy Spirit worked powerfully through Paul Yet he's on the way to Rome. He's arrested. Uh, Agabus, the prophet, he, you know, he told it like it was. And Paul said, well, that's fine, but I got to go. And amazing. Yeah. Yeah. And in, in all of it, you still see miracles in the mess of the last chapters as Paul is going to Rome. And then he gets to Rome and I think it's whoever said it's all about perspective. Uh, it's not a, yeah, it's not about suffering. Let, let's just dig in, uh, you know, and I appreciate, you know, the pamphlet on suffering and it's right on, but we need to just reinvest in Cheeky's book and make sure that we're, that we understand that the whole thing is about knowing the Father better. And so my thought was, if suffering helps us know the Father better, then honestly, bring it on. Yeah. yeah. Yes. Bring it on. Because that's that's what I, and I, I don't know that I want to walk through what Jeremy walked through, but I want it all. And yeah. whatever that whatever that's going to look like. I think there's a key connection between our understanding of the mission of the Father, that we're on mission as sons who have been granted full partnership in the Father's business. If you understand that you're on mission, and, and I learned this, this won't, this won't even sound like it doesn't qualify for suffering. I'll tell you that right now, but I learned a lesson, and that was years ago when we were living in Houston, and the Lord spoke to me about um, going to work to teach at the King's University, well, the King's University in Dallas. So, well, that doesn't make sense. I wouldn't even get paid enough to pay for the gasoline. And the Lord arranged uh, this uh, straight line express bus line 
where you hop on, and if you're the first, one of the first five to get the ticket, you get it for $1. I got all of my rides for a grand $40 for the whole semester. Uh, and when the students found out that I was riding the bus back and forth from Houston to Dallas to teach, they called me the bus professor, you know, and, and they said, how do you do that? How do you, it's like I was really suffering, you know, it's uh, air conditioned and everything I said, How do you do that? And what came to me was if you're obeying the father's voice, it's not suffering. It's only an inconvenience. And when you look at, when you look at Paul's, When you look at Paul's life, what you see is a man that's so full of joy that he can't see the suffering. <laughs> he sees the Father's mission. He sees a jailer that's about to take his life before he gets to know Jesus. About a, He gets to see a family who's about to lose their father and their husband. His eye is on the prize. His eye is on the harvest. And if we don't get our eyes on the harvest, we're going to think all these little things are suffering. And they're not, they're not suffering. Mm-hmm if our eyes are on the mission. So I want to encourage you in this. And just one last thought um, that goes with Hebrews chapter 12 that I think is helpful to us. When he talks about how the father who loves his sons disciplines them, that that word has nothing to do with pain, by the way. Punishment. Or punishment. And this is how we know. He says, furthermore, we had human fathers who corrected us And we paid them respect. How did they correct us? Well, with some emotional and physical pain. Shall we not much more readily be in subjection to the Father of spirits and live? And in that context, the Hebrew writer is telling us how the Father disciplines us. He doesn't discipline us with pain. He's not the one causing the suffering. He comes and disciplines us by speaking in our spirit. He's the Father of spirits. He's raising us up as spirits in sonship. And he's disciplining us. He's bringing us to the right mindset, to have the right mission in our hearts, to get our eyes off of the stuff of the world and to get our eyes on what his eyes are on. And isn't it interesting that he said, if you're faithful in little, I'll give you rulership over cities. That's people. That's the Father's heart. I don't really want crowns. Uh, I want people to be there because somehow we touch their lives in the process. Can we do a fun thing to finish? Yeah. We didn't have it planned at all. But Julie, did you have anything you wanted to say? Sergio, you've listened intently. Thank you. Anybody else? You just uh, Anything you, you really want to share? We don't want you to feel left out. Well, actually, this is um, a subject that I've been really wrestling with for several months now. So I'm very grateful that you chose this as a topic. And with Jeremy, I believe Holly is his queen's name, mm-hmm. definitely um, just hit me. That is my mindset that needs to change. And even what you said, Dr. Carey, some, in obeying the Father's voice, it's not suffering, it's an inconvenience. Mm-hmm. And because um, I feel like I've been suffering since I was 13 when my mother died. I'm sorry. No. no. So I appreciate what um, Dave said. I've gotten to know the Father through these really difficult places and he has bothered me but a woman needs a break that's just where I am right now like you know (laughs) I need the fellowship what did did, uh, Chiki once you said to me you know we have fellowship in the suffering it's not time to fellowship in the resurrection 
So mm. that's just where I am in my personal journey. So thank mm. you. Yeah. Amen. So glad you're with us, Julie. Bless you. So what I, what I wanted to do to finish it somewhat differently is so at the very beginning we sort of asked the question, so if, if faith and exercising our faith doesn't insulate us from suffering, then what's the point of faith? And I was thinking it's just in reflecting with what we've said. Now here's the challenge. Can we, can we come up with one word, not a phrase, not a sentence, certainly not a paragraph, one word that would help you describe what's the point of faith if suffering is part and parcel of life. So what would you say to that? The point of faith is fill in the blank. One word, Nathan. Rest. Rest. Good. Somebody else. Truth. Truth. Good. Jeremy? Oh, perspective. I was going to say that. Yes. Good. Hillary. Life. Good. How about Julie? What would you say? Joy. Joy. Good. Dave? Uh, joy also. Okay. Good. Vanessa? Yeah. Joy. Joy is my word right now. Good. Thank okay. you, Vanessa. Jim? Taki? And Shirley? Uh, Shirley says... Communion. Communion. Good. That's beautiful. And I was going to say restoration. Restoration. Beautiful. Deborah? Peace. Peace. Great. Sergio? Endurance. Endurance. Good. And I don't know who iPad is, but iPad. I'll <laughs> <laughs> be me. <laughs> uh, okay. Uh, I would say I, I go with perspective. 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 My, the word that came to me was perspective. Hope. And I'm going to say focus or expectation that's two words but okay. i'll stick with focus yeah. faith yeah. focus so maybe we need to do another one of these of like sonship yeah. and faith and like unpack all this <laughs> well there's so much here i mean we could we could spend uh, four months just working through this especially where our nation is going and where our world is going and the church must be ready the church must be full of his glory full of his love and and expectations on him thank you for walking with us uh, I do hope to see you face to face. There's going to be something glorious about us being able to hug each other's neck um, in October and uh, love you so much. I would encourage you. I invite you. You don't have to, but I invite you. If you've, if you've taken some notes, some things the Lord's spoken to you about this topic, if you wouldn't mind sending them to me, I would appreciate it. I'm trying to gather everything I can about sonship on every topic that we talk about, and uh, we can do it as a team. That's the way it works. Can I just bless us on the way out? Yeah, thank you. Father, I love these people. I love your sons and daughters whose eyes are locked into you. When we look at Jesus, he's looking at you. So we're looking at you, Father. We bless you. Thank you for speaking in our hearts. Even as we sleep tonight, train our thoughts in the night season. Holy Spirit, you are the teacher. You're downloading all the Father's goodwill and purpose into our hearts tonight. Thank you that you do that as we wake up in the morning. May we hear the song that you've been singing over us. May we hear an invitation into a conversation. I bless you for it. We thank you that though it may not fully look like it yet, now we are the sons of God. And everybody said together.
Amen. Amen. Thank you, Ethan, for directing Amen. this and making all this happen for us. We love you. Bless you. If you haven't registered, um, then reach out to us, and we'll help you do that. Look forward to seeing you in October, and I think it's going to be fun for so many of you to meet uh, meet each other in person. By the way, I say the last thing, we're getting all of these books on Audible. So people that don't care to read or people that are truckers or spend a lot of time on the road uh, can listen to the books uh, through Audible, and we're almost there. So pray for us to help finish that. Blessings. Have a great evening. Love you very much. Yeah. When we're together, when we're apart. Bye-bye. Bye, yeah. Thank you. Look forward to it. Bye.